with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the RoboHub podcast and another episode with interviews from the International Conference on Intelligent Robots and Systems, IROS. Today we're back on the exhibition floor to find out more about some of the exciting projects that were showcased. First up, our interview Audro spoke to Christopher Richardson, a developer at Bitcraze in Sweden. They discussed a small open source unmanned aerial vehicle, UAV, and different ways of localizing it. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Thank you. I'm Christopher from Bitcrise. Would you tell me what you're demonstrating here? Yeah, so we're showing our small drone, the Crazyfly, and a few different position systems that we use to, to position the drone. Would you describe the drone? Yeah, sure. It's, it's a very small, a lightweight drone. Uh, it's all open source and uh, extremely flexible, and it's intended to be a platform for people to, to explore drones and robotics. Tell me how it's a platform for this. Uh, so the idea is that uh, the user should be should be able to, to do whatever they want, basically. If you want to add a sensor, you should be able to add a sensor. If you want to reprogram it and make it do something different, it should be possible. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the hardware of the drone. Yeah, so it's it's basically, it's all in one PCB with a few four motors on it. And we have an expansion port where you can add add new sensors or yeah, decks, expansion decks that do different things. And how does it work for you to add your own sensors to this? Uh, either you can you can buy decks from us. Yep. I mean, it could be, for instance, no and examples op- of sensors. I guess? Yeah, it could be an optical flow sensor, for instance, to track track the motion over the floor, so you can mm-hmm. automate flight. Uh, it could be maybe an LED ring, or it could be a buzzer, or maybe you need to add a sensor that we don't have. Then you could design your own deck and put that sensor on it and s- just slot it in and do whatever you want. Gotcha. And so you're also demonstrating a few different positioning systems. Yes. Would you tell me about those? Yeah. I mean, uh, a drone out of the box wouldn't fly autom- autonomously because it doesn't know where it is. Yep. So it needs some help. Outside, you could use GPS, of course. But mm-hmm. since our drone is very small, it's more likely that you're inside. So we have one positioning system that is based on uh, ultra-wideband radios. Tell me what that is. Yeah, so it's, it's a high-frequency radio. And we basically put out anchors, and then we measure the time it takes for the radioways to go from the anchor to, to the drone. And then we can calculate the position of the drone. Does it Because it's high frequency, does that make it more accurate when you're e- telling the time of flight? Yeah, especially it, it's a uh, wideband system. So What does it mean? It means that we, we need very little time for the actual message to, to transmit it. And then okay. we can very accurately measure... The, the time it arrives at the uh, at the drone. Okay, and so this works kind of like GPS positioning. Very much like GPS, just but, in smaller scale. Yeah, and then you mentioned it has a few modes. Yes, we can run it in in uh, one mode where we measure the distance to each anchor, which is like a ping pong mode. We send a few messages back and forth. Mm-hmm. The other mode, we the, the anchors are only trans, only the anchors are transmitting messages, and the drone is receiving it. And then we get the time difference of arrival to, to, the, to the anchors. And this enables us to position infinite numbers of drones at the same time. So it, it scales to swarms as well. Yes. 
And then, uh, was that both modes? The second mode? That's the second mode. The first mode is the ping pong mode. What's the advantages of either mode? Why do you have two? Uh, the main reason is that we started with the first one because it was easier. Okay. <laughs> but it's also a little bit more precise and less noise in the, in the estimated position. The second mode is the advantage is that, that you fly swarm. Ah, with I ma- see. many drones at the same time. Gotcha. Okay, and then the second system you have here is taken from augmented reality systems or? Yeah, virtual reality. It's, it's virtual the reality. ATC Vive um, system, a VR system. How does it work? It's based on uh, lasers sweeping through the through the space, and then is we. Is it kind of like a lidar system, and then you just it has a servo that pitches it? Uh, sort of. It's a it's a rotating drum that is sort of sweeping a, a light light plane through the through the space. Yeah, sure. But you yeah. mentioned it also can communicate data. Yes, the the light is is modulated with the data, so you to figure out the exact angle of. Of the, of, of the the light that when it hits you. So okay. from those la- angles, you can calculate the position that you have. And how many of these systems do you have watching any given drone? Uh, you mean you have the, two set up, right? No. The lighthouse, we have two, yeah. And uh, you, do you need two for this? In the current, the, the, the way we do it right now, yes, you need two. Gotcha. And yeah. so what is it doing? It is doing a lidar, some sort of scan of the environment with the lasers to figure out like a 3D position of yeah. everything. Yeah. How do you identify the drone? The, everything is done in the drone. So the drone just listens or looks for this, the, the, the light from the base stations. Oh. And then it can calculate where it is. So all of the computing is done on the drone. And everything this. is done in the drone. And then in, in this demo, we, we, we use the position to fly a pre-programmed trajectory. Yep. So, what information is the drone getting from the system? It gets uh, uh, basically timing information. Then it can calculate the angle of where. Because I'm imagining it doing is. a sweep down, and if it's doing a sweep, it's also getting information about the environment. So I assume it's not telling where the drone is or something. No, or the drone no. would have to figure out where it is in space. The drone figures out it. where it is. Yes, the the ang- the the base stations. Th- provide information of where the base station is yes and the angles of the base station okay and then from from the actual sweep we get the timing in the sweep we get the angle to the base station gotcha okay and um, so your demonstration here what kind of interest are you getting um what kind of interest we get I mean there's a lot of researchers coming here and, and, and so a lot of them are already using our stuff uh-huh. And so it's pretty much talking to them about what they're doing, and ah. we tell them what we are sort of working on, gotcha. what's, what's coming up, and so on. And so BitCraze, you're a company in Sweden? Yep. Okay. And you're selling the small drone? Here? We're selling small drones, and we're selling the radio-based positioning system. The lighthouse system is still a work in progress, gotcha. but we hope to be, I hope it's going to be ready soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's flying, at least. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Next, Audro caught up with Michael Zilich, the CTO of Blue Danube Robotics based in Austria. 
They developed a robotics platform called Kenny for picking up toys. Zelich talked to Audrey about Kenny's design, about how children can show the robot where to put specific toys, about how this large European project was coordinated and about possibly commercializing the platform in future. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Hello, uh, my name is Michael Zillich. I was formerly with the Vienna University of Technology and was coordinating the EU project Squirrel. Mm -hmm. And we are standing here uh, next to Kenny, which is the robot that we developed within the four years of the project with uh, many partners from across Europe. And Kenny is supposed to uh, tidy up a child's room. And the idea is that children teach the robot how to tidy up. That is, teach where which toys belong and how to store them away. And sure. in the process, the children should be tidying up themselves and be motivated to do so. Nice. Would you describe the Squirrel platform? Um, yeah, so... Uh, what, what did you say its name was? Uh, Kenny. So we Kenny. asked... Uh, that we had a uh, nursery as part of the project consortium and yes. they asked their children uh, what's the robot's name and they had a little contest and Kenny was the name that came up. Very nice. So from then on it was Kenny. So what does Kenny look like? Uh, Kenny is about uh, one meter tall. Uh, it looks a bit like a teddy bear. Um, that's what people tell us. We So uh, some uh, one project partner company uh, designed the shell so it's a smooth, white uh, plastic shell around the robot. Mm -hmm. uh, inside, we have a omnidirectional platform made by Festo. Uh, Festo also made the robot arm, which is a five-degree freedom arm, covered in a soft tactile skin mm -hmm. as a safety measure. Cool. Um, and together with the platform and the arm, we have an eight-degree freedom mobile manipulator. Mm -hmm. um, on top of that, a head with a pan tilt. Uh, camera, uh, CD camera, yep, and a laser range of navigation. Very cool. And on top of this is a, a little face uh, which can display, you know, emotions. Uh. And the face is currently displaying a single eye. Exactly, looking looking downwards. It. It yep. Has eyebrows. Yeah. So to me, it looks like an R two D two with a little an R two D two robot with yep. a little sliding panel that can hide the arm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then it has almost like a white triceratops head with a single eye mm -hmm. on it. And yeah, waist height one meter or so, roughly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell me a bit about. So it's for picking up children's toys, yep. and the children teach it where they want them to be. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me a bit about how it does that. So the scientific goal of the project was to deal with clutter. Mm -hmm. So, uh, cluttered environments where there's uh, navigation obstacles, high dynamics, which is tough for symbolic planning, and, and division is always tough in cluttered environments and also grass mm -hmm. planning. And we want to tackle all these uh, clutter-related problems in, in this project. All at once, yes. All at once, yes, <laughs> which was a, a high goal. Yes, ah, it's a good goal. Um, and we also had to build a platform in the project because we mm -hmm. didn't have the platform, the right one at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's all these components working together. So the basic approach that we follow is uh, to do this bit by bit. So there's no point in looking at the room, seeing all the madness and chaos, and figuring out what to do in all detail. You just start with the next object. So you run the, yeah, the one room, step ahead. and then there's one thing, you pick this up, you tidy it away, and the club becomes a bit less. And then you do this uh, Just keep one thing at a time. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. and All through. Is, yeah. And how does it work with children um, showing it? So um, 
one way to, to teach the robot is to pick an object up. So the robot navigates the environment, finds something, looks at the child and makes a questioning sound. You don't have speech output really, but just... What does the questioning sound like? I mean, I, if you could imitate it. It's uh, like it goes higher in intonation? Yeah, the, mm? yeah. Something like this. Okay. A bit like R2D2 again. Yeah. Uh, we didn't want to have a full speech output because this would, you know, insinuate that it's smarter than it is. Yeah. Uh, we had speech input, so it could understand basic commands, but speech out output was just uh, yeah. noises. Got to keep so, those expectations uh, low. Exactly, exactly. And then Don't promise, overpromise. Okay. Uh, the child would pick up the toy and to lead the robot to the right corner and the right box and drop it there. And from this on, the robot would know. Uh, that's the corner uh-huh. and then it would start navigating and, and trying itself with feedback from the child it would say yes this was correct or this was not correct hmm. how did what, you how yeah. did you figure out boxes were they like structured boxes that you guys set out or were um, they, how, how did you determine what was a location the child wanted to put it so location means a location in the maps that is one part of the room and there we had put boxes with markers on them so that they would have so unique structured. IDs I yeah. see and you just basically would go to the middle of it and then drop it in? Yeah. Ah, okay. I was wondering, like, say it was a shelf or something, then that's uh, a bit more we, difficult. We also, if you look at the video back there, which you, the audience can't see, so we had a, in a different setup, we also did manipulation of, a little more complex manipulation uh, involving, uh, for example, books. Oh, picking yes? up books, like shoving it to the middle of the table, picking it up with the second arm, and then putting it in, in the shelf. There's a second arm? Not on the mobile platform. We couldn't fit that. I mean, ah, it's big yeah, enough as I was it is. Surprised. Um, so manipulation there is uh, more limited. But project partners doing manipulation, they had a different setup with KUKA arms and big hands, and they did more complex manipulation involving shelves. Gotcha. Yeah. So we did that, but we couldn't fit everything on the on the platform. No, of course not. So then, how does um, so it, talking more about like this this project? How did you coordinate? all of the effort. I know that several PhD students were yep. working on this and several universities. How is it all coordinated? Um, well, that's, that's tough, of course. There's uh, a lot of integration work going on. I of think course. That, that's the, the main uh, point in these integrated projects, to, to make sure we all work on the same platform, software-wise, concept-wise, and hardware-wise. So, uh, what is it software wise? Uh, we is everything is ROS based, yep. obviously, and we used uh, GitHub as so many yeah, to, to just coordinate our coding efforts. Mm-hmm. And we specifically had uh, IPA Fraunhofer as, as a partner who did the bulk of the integration work. So, wow. they were uh, operating the uh, continuous testing servers, making sure uh, documentation is correct, and they were coordinating the soft integration part because gotcha. they, they've done this for many years with their Carabot platform they have the expertise there so you had several universities work on different parts of the problem yep. with their different PhD students and exactly. then you had them all push it somewhere yep. and then you had one company take what they had and then integrate it to the rest of the system yeah they were overseeing the integration yes very cool um, and and we had three platforms, like three almost identical platforms distributed over the project partners so that we would also have hardware integration platforms across the consortium and not just in one place. Gotcha. And did you actually test it with children? Yes. We had a nursery as part of the consortium in mm-hmm. Vienna and they had children aged 6 to 10 uh, and we would regularly visit them or they would come to the lab 
and we would uh, do experiments with them. And they were with the project and the growing robot for the full four years. So it started with just a platform. It looks like a vacuum cleaner. You yeah. added the camera, added the arm, and finally added full, uh, nice-looking, smooth shell. And they they were with us the whole time and always happy to see the robot and of course. a very forgiving audience, so to speak. So if the robot didn't perform perfectly, it dropped something, uh, it was okay. It was part of the game, and they just they would just try again. What about so the social side when interacting mm-hmm. with children? Uh, did you do anything so the robot would forecast its intention? Or you mentioned making the higher noise for questioning. What yep. other social things are on this robot? Um, so we have some uh, social interaction. We have uh, person following, face tracking, um, speech recognition. We also had a partner university of Twente. They did. Um, not speech recognition, but uh, recognizing the like affect. Uh, human the, affect. Yeah, so if the like person emotion. is exactly emotional from the sound patterns, like if the person oh, is from sound. Oh, agitated or happy or bored. So there are a few things you Did can. Did you use any of that in uh, its behavior? Yeah, we used that in the in the behavior. So that the oh. to, to a limited degree, because once we have ten children, sound-based yeah. uh, things. Are, breakdown so of course and on children too because they're not yeah. trained on children often the true yeah to get the affect correctly from the voice yeah um, so i'm not the expert there on on how precisely they trained um it's just hard to get a big database of children i think with the yeah and then <laughs> of course there are children from uh, holland and yes. italy i guess they're different different distributions. Uh, but yeah that's the typical learning problem of course and then uh one part of the Social interaction is to create a, a, a scenario, a game-like scenario that is entertaining over longer periods of time, making sure that the children stay involved. Right? This was this was part of the interaction design, so that we would have uh, good scenarios that keep the children interested. And how did you do that? Um, like, what was the game like? Um, one game that we had over a couple of weeks, so they would come in regularly was a space exploration scenario. So uh, the robot and the children land on a prime planet and they have to find stuff in the environment and find equipment that was lost and such things. Yeah. So there would be a bit of a story behind all this tidying up. Because tidying up in itself is boring, so you need to give a bit of a, a, a spin to this. Nice. Yeah. Okay, what's the future direction of this work? Um, so what the project's ending, right? The but project did what, end... What in March this year, after four years. Um, Are you continuing this thread of work? or um, In the group at Tiovin, we uh, continue with this tidying scenarios uh, as a sort of motivating scenario for the group because it ties in everything from grass planning to vision, uh, navigation. So it's a good uh, scenario to lead us. Uh, regarding the project itself, the next step would be commercialization. Oh, yeah? That, that's what also the European Commission pushed, like how can you make this into a product? Yeah. Uh, we had an exploitation plan as part of the project report. Mm-hmm. We also looked at potential customers. We went to IKEA with this. Yeah. Uh, they were nice enough to have us, so we they had set up a, a fake child room with stuff in it, and we had the robot there tidying to pick up. pick it up. Um, with uh, IKEA shoppers passing by, and we ask them, so what do you think of this? Would you buy such a robot? What would you need to do? Uh, pick stuff up, clean the windows and whatnot. 
and then ask what they would pay for it, right? And then what, what would they pay for it? Out yeah. of curiosity. And then uh, I mean, like how much? What did they say? Uh, so there were two peaks, interestingly, around five hundred euros or five thousand euros. So the majority and was out of curiosity. Yeah. What does it actually cost? Oh, fifty thousand. <laughs> At oh, least less yeah. than I would have thought, honestly. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, if you don't count the work hour, it's mean, just oh, a yeah. hard work. <laughs> uh, but of course, if you okay. want to make yeah, you want <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, what would so be funny. next? Five hundred. <laughs> yeah, that that's a long way. Yes. Uh, so, what would have to happen next is um, really look again more closely at the market, see what people really need the most, and then scale down the whole thing to perform just that, but well. So if you pay a thousand euros and it breaks down after three months, you're really upset. Mm-hmm. That can't happen. So it should be robust enough, focused enough on a few very specific tasks like tidying up toys or maybe just small toys or whatever it is you have to find out and do this well at a price point that's acceptable. Don't go for the robot butler. That's not happening soon. Mm-hmm. Um, do something targeted uh, and simple that you can actually promise and deliver gotcha yeah and okay. that's that's the next thing yeah thank you okay thank you very much and finally for today our interview with Paulo Alvito CEO CTO and co-founder of ID Mind in Portugal who have developed a remote inspection robot for Suez Alvito explained the design of the robot, what it means to be remotely autonomous, and how these robots communicate data. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Hi. Would you introduce yourself? Uh, so, my name is Paulo Alvito. I'm uh, a manager in a company called IDMind, in a Portuguese company that builds robots. Would you tell me a bit about IDMind? So, IDMind uh, works on uh, both robots for indoor environments... Uh, kind of social robots, and then also an industrial side on remote inspection robots. Okay. Um, would you tell me about the robot you have here? Uh, so this this robot uh, was built for uh, inspection of sewers, that uh, sewers that are currently inspected by human teams. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to uh, have a tool, an autonomous tool, a robot, to do this inspection without the need of going inside the sewers. What do the sewers look like? And uh, so usually they are more or less uh, 80 centimeters wide, mm-hmm. uh, one one between uh, around 1.5 meters tall uh, high, yep. and um, so they have so waste wastewater yeah. running in the middle, and uh, so you can imagine it's uh, quite uh, dirty, yeah, so and, and and not pleasant environment, which has risks in terms of health, in terms of safety. So it's, the, I would say, the perfect environment for having a machine. Okay. Now, would you describe what the robot looks like? So the robot is a six-wheeled platform. Yep. It's powered by six motors. Uh, it can adapt its width, depending on the profile of the mm-hmm. sewer. And then it has f- cameras in the front, cameras in the back. These cameras are capturing the 3D yep. uh, appearance of the environment. And with this information, is providing this information to the operators so that can, they can see if there is any problem in the, in, in the tunnels, cracks ah. and so on. Ah, so they're remote vehicles. They are remote but autonomously. Okay, so they, they are 
auton uh, remotely checking the robot operation, oh, but the robot is doing the operation autonomously in terms of the locomotion. Gotcha. Uh, so, can you describe how it gets narrower or wider? And uh, so wh- it why has. Does it, it's, why does yeah. it do that? Though? So the thing is that uh, the the sewer it has a, 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 a channel, a, a, channel a gutter in the middle, where you have the wastewater running, mm-hmm. and this gutter it can change in width. So we had to build a, a robot that could also adapt to this change uh, in real time mm-hmm. while it's moving. Um, and so we, we built this uh, with, a, with a mechanism in the middle that, allow, that applies a force to the, to, the, to the wheels and makes them you know, separate or get, get closer. Yep, and it kind of has those parallel links yeah. that it's, make it's, it so it that will, the wheel faces works, the it same. It works like a parallel program, so to yep. say. So you just, so you just and, and the they, angle. Yeah, so and then you it just the need to in. you just need to control a pair of wheels and then because they are linked with the with the other pairs, they also open or close. How many motors for changing the angle of the parallelogram? Uh, do we just it? have one motor? Just one? For just all one. Yeah, wheels? for all the six wheels. Because they're all linked together. They are all linked, yeah. Why six wheels? Why not four? Uh, because in fact you mentioned before you have we can have the the, 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 the friction problem. Ah. And so six, oh, yeah. six wheels. Let me just. I'll just put a little background in. Yeah. So because these wheels are kind of being retracted in. Yeah. This would, um, and they're just being straight retracted in. Yeah. With surfaces that are rough and have a yeah, lot of friction. Yeah, exactly. It would and, be and also, and also, when the robot is rotating in the same place. You and know, rotating. Where with the six-wheel configuration, it's easier, so to say. So the way to get the wheels in is to drive forward or backwards, yeah. and then to pull them in at the same e- exactly, time. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so then, why six wheels? Uh, so, so friction, it has something to yeah, do with that? Yeah, so the thing is that when the robot needs to rotate or needs to open or close, oh. uh, so this configuration, it's better for the movement of the, of the robot. It makes it easier to turn and makes it easier the, the operation instead of having only four wheels, for example. I don't quite have an intuition of why that would be. Can you describe it? Um, so if you have only four wheels and you have a kind of a skid sk- steering uh, robot, yep. with the four wheels, when you are rotating, uh, there is a lot of force that is applied yes. to, 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 ah. each, to each of the, of the motors. Yeah. And in this case, with the six wheels configuration and having, I would say, most of the mass centered in the robot, yes. the two center wheels are making the, the biggest force. Yes. And so in this case, it's much better in terms when the robot is rotating. Okay, so if you had two sets of wheels, you'd be applying a big force kind of horizontally in the direction to pull the wheel off or push the wheel on. And so that's not desirable. Exactly. And so this is skid driving. The wheels are always facing forward. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. And then you have a little robotic arm on top of this platform. With a camera? We have a high-definition camera. And in it has top. emitters around the edge, a bunch of little infrared LEDs? Am I uh, right? It's just, uh, no, in this case they are just uh, uh, high, bright uh, LEDs. Oh, just white LEDs? Just for illumination in this oh, case. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And then how does the autonomy, how does it work for it to so go autonomously? With, um, with the RGBD cameras in the front or in the back because the robot can be reversible yes. in terms of uh, locomotion. Um, these RGBD cameras... They give the, the 3D profile of the environment. And based on this, the operator just needs to say, okay, move forward or move backward. 
and the robot by the profile that it gets from oh. the RGB cameras, it, it adapts itself autonomously to I the see. profile. And so, so you give it the high-level commands to yeah, drive forward level, and backward. Exactly. And for example, when it gets close to a cross, for example, where the robot can go left or can go right, the operator says, okay, go left or go right, depending on, on the mission. And based on this, the robot, again, based on the captured profile from the RGB cameras, it makes autonomously the, the right trajectory. Yeah, so it drives and doesn't yeah, fall exactly. on the channel. Exactly. How does communication work under these tunnels? I imagine so there's attenuation uh, of the it, signals. Um, there's a attenuation, and especially when, when the robot needs to turn yes. in a different direction to go for left or going right, for example. What we do to solve that, because we have a permanent link of communications between oh, the so robots. Oh, so you have a wire running this whole way? Uh, no, it's completely, it's completely wireless. What? Completely. what do you do? Do you drop nodes or what? Yeah, something similar. So just before starting the mission, uh, they define the mission. They go to the to the you know to the to the plant they have from the from the the the, the, the tunnels that they want to inspect. And so they, they just look on, on those critical points, which are the place where the robot will need to turn. They go there on the surface just before. Usually the, you, have, you have a manual. Just a what? A man, man, uh, a man, 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 man oh, manual. Oh, and you drop one through. So you just open the manual. You load, load, uh, load down the, the, repeat, the signal repeater. Yes. You close the manual and, and, and you are yeah, done. And then with, the, with, the, with the, those repeaters... We can uh, increase a lot the, the range of the inspection. Of course, because you're just bumping up the signal again. Exactly. You probably exactly. error check yeah. it. Still, you, of course, there is a, you lose bandwidth when yeah. you go from one. Uh, every time you you you, you go and uh, you put an extra repeater, you lose bandwidth. Because you lose a little signal and then you bump exactly. it up and there's exactly. noise introduced, is what yeah. you're saying? But, exactly. Huh. But, okay, you still it's it's okay for having a real-time video for the operator. Yeah, reasonably robust. Yeah. And you just stream it through and the bit that are corrupted are exactly. probably fine. Gotcha. Is this actually deployed in, like, is this being used? So we are using this in, in a, those pilot experiments in Barcelona, which was, the, in fact, the end user that provided us the requirements. Ah. So we are using this in those pilots, and now we are finishing concluding the project, and our idea is to, in the next months, to, to, to look for pilots that we can start using this technology so that we can in the future of course com commercialize this got you what's the timeline for that so we, that you would we, imagine. we expect that uh, in a, in a falling 18 18 months we'll be more or less you know studying the the business model for this okay and preparing for a real uh, off-the-shelf robot this is still not exciting thank you thank you very much okay And that's it for today's coverage from IROS. If you missed any of our previous episodes from this year's conference, you can find them all and so much more at robohop.org forward slash podcast. And don't forget, if you have any comments, suggestions or questions for the Robohop podcast, our president, Audro, is keen to hear from you. Just send him an email at audro.nash at robohop.org. And as this is our very last episode of 2018, the team behind the Robohop podcast would like to wish all our listeners a very merry festive season and a great start to the new year. We'll be back in January. Until then, goodbye.
iRoz with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.